Today's epistle reading is from uh, Philippians, uh, the second chapter, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today we read the account of the parade into Jeru towards Jerusalem that we find in Mark's Gospel in chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said. And the bystanders allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh, holy God, O oh, loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and redeemer. And may your word not only be heard, but also obeyed. In your son's name we pray, amen. When it comes to describing the major events in Jesus' life, such as his entry into Jerusalem, there are two ways you can go about doing it, considering that we have not one, but four Gospels. First, you can see what the four Gospels have in common and then meld them together into one script, like a screenwriter might do if he or she were writing the script for a movie about Jesus. 
The second alternative, the one that Carrie and I most often do in our Bible studies or in our sermons, is to take each gospel account on its own. What does this gospel writer emphasize in particular? What detail is in this gospel and no other? And what does the Holy Spirit have to teach us through that detail? Here in Mark's gospel, it appears that Mark wants us to pay particular attention to both the beginning and the end of Jesus' Palm Sunday procession toward Jerusalem. First, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is carefully prepared. Well over half the passage that I just read to you concerns the instructions given by Jesus to two of his disciples about the animal he will, he will ride. Apparently, he's already made secret arrangements to borrow a colt that has never been ridden before. It may have been that Jesus even set up a password with the owner of the colt so that when anyone asks, why are you doing this? The disciples are to answer, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. In any case, Jesus approaches Jerusalem from the east, from the Mount of Olives, a place that has been associated with the arrival of Jesus' Messiah thanks to a prophecy from the book of Zechariah. He comes towards Jerusalem like a king might, riding rather than walking with cloaks and palm branches across his path. And in the air, the cries of Hosanna, which means save us now, and blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. And yet, and yet, he comes as no king would. There is no retinue of soldiers on steeds surrounding him, as would surround Pontius Pilate, for example, when he rode into Jerusalem for the Passover festival from the garrison, the Roman garrison, on the west side of Jerusalem. And the animal that Jesus rides is only a colt, a humble beast, a burden, a donkey that suggests that he is one who comes as one destined to suffer and serve rather than a king destined to reign. If he is indeed the Messiah, he is like no Messiah that the people have dreamed about because they dreamed of a Messiah who would drive out the hated Romans and liberate Israel. And then there's the last verse. The ending of this passage, a detail that only Mark includes. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem, Mark writes, and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. As if he's on a scouting expedition, going to the temple and sizing the enemy up before returning to the village of Bethany a couple of miles east of Jerusalem. Because make no mistake about it, Jesus knows what lies ahead. He knows that his entry into Jerusalem will lead him towards his enemies. The political and religious leaders who oppose him and feel threatened by him. Jesus knows that his entry into Jerusalem will lead him towards arrest, suffering, 
and death. This is what makes Palm Sunday so bittersweet. We know what lies ahead. In a matter of days, we will see humanity at its worst. A disciple, Judas, will portray Jesus with a kiss. Other disciples will fall asleep before they deny even knowing Jesus. And they will abandon him at the cross. Soldiers will beat Jesus and they'll throw dice for the cloak that he's wearing. The crowd will no longer cry, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Instead, they will cry, crucify him, crucify him. But the week ahead also will give examples of human kindness and courage. A woman anoints Jesus' feet with priceless perfume and prepares him for burial. Simon of Cyrene will carry his cross. Women will gather at the cross. Joseph of Arimathea will step forward to provide a tomb. Isn't that the way it is with human beings? We can be capable of acts of both cruelty or laziness and of kindness or courage. We can speak beautiful words of love and encouragement and with the same tongue lash out with stinging words of criticism or rebuke or, or prejudice. We human beings can be such a mixture of good and bad. Oscar Wilde may, may have had his tongue firmly planted in his cheek when he said, I think that God in creating man overestimated his ability. But his humor points to how mixed up humanity can be. This time last year, especially in Britain, there were a number of articles marking the 30th anniversary of one of the worst disasters in British maritime history. On March 6, 1987, a British cross-channeled ferry carrying 500 passengers sank just after leaving a Belgian harbor. The sinking was not the result of bad weather. It was not the result of some act of terrorism. Instead, what happened was that the bow doors, the doors that let trucks and cars onto the ferry, were left open when the ferry went into the water. With the onrush of water through those open doors, the ferry started to sink within 90 seconds of leaving the port. A subsequent inquiry revealed that the crew member responsible for closing the doors had fallen asleep. His supervising first officer had not bothered to check the doors. Another employee had seen that the doors were open, but it wasn't his responsibility, and so he didn't do anything. The investigation found that almost every human folly or negligence that could have happened did happen. But there were also extraordinary acts of courage and heroism, so that more than 300 of the 500 passengers were saved from the freezing water. Multiple, multiple people received recognition later from the Queen for their bravery, including a man named Anthony Parker. Parker was a six-foot-three assistant bank manager who saw two metal barriers about six feet apart 
with the rushing water between them. And to cross was the only way for these passengers to get to safety. So what he did was he stretched across and made a human bridge between that so that 20 people, including his wife and daughter, could make their ways to safety. Miraculously, he was rescued too. Years later, an inter- a newspaper interviewed him and other super, uh, survivors. He downplayed what he did. Before the d- disaster, he said, I was a normal bloke, nothing special at all. Since then, I've been laid off, divorced, remarried, immigrated. I discovered that I'm a survivor, not just of the sinking, but in life generally. Indeed, it was a ferry of ordinary blokes, of ordinary men and ordinary women. Some failed miserably in carrying out their responsibilities. Some acted heroically to save lives. Well, probably the majority of victims and survivors just tried to muddle through. It was a ferry containing a mixture of humanity because that is the way humanity is. As Harry Potter is told by his uncle Sirius, the world isn't split into good people and death eaters. We've all got both light and dark inside of us. That's not to say that we're all alike, nor is it to say that we are all equally guilty. But it is to say that we are all created in the image of God and therefore fully capable of reflecting God's goodness, wisdom, and love, fully capable of acts of heroism and doing extraordinary things for others and for the world. And yet at the same time, we are also sinners, capable of failing to do what we know we should do or doing what we know we should not do. Heaven forbid that anything we might do would lead to the loss of lives. But, like that fairy crew, we too fall asleep when we should be alert. We too fail to see what we should see or hear what we should hear, sometimes even with those who are nearest and dearest to us. We too fail to do our responsibilities and fulfill our duties. We let others down who are depending on us. We fall short of the people we were intended to be, the kind of people we want to be. We too see things that are not the way they should be, and yet do nothing. When have we seen others treated the wrong way and done nothing, heard a prejudicial remark and said nothing? When have we witnessed injustice but thought it was someone else's responsibility to take care of? We're all a mixture of good and bad, as are the people we encounter in Mark 11. Jesus' disciples are there, and there's darkness and light in each of them. Judas is good enough to be one of the twelve. He is responsible enough to be the treasurer of the money for the poor, that the disciples carry, and yet he will betray Jesus with a kiss. Peter seems to be always first in his class, always the one eager to follow Jesus wherever he will go, and yet he will deny even knowing Jesus, not once, but three times. And the crowds, 
people like you and me shout on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then they shout, then we shout, crucify him, crucify him. There is a mixture of good and bad, grace and sin in each one of us. But not in Jesus. As someone has written, Jesus is good all the way down, all the time, all the way beyond forever and back. He does not fall asleep. He's always paying attention, always alert to what is going on around him, always alert to the needs of others. He never assumes that others can be expected to do what God has called him to do. He never shirks his duties, never stays above the fray, but instead, as Bill read, humbles himself and is obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. No, with a love and power that is greater than anything we might muster, even when we are at our best and are heroic, Jesus stretches out to form a bridge between heaven and earth, between the heights of God's goodness and wisdom and love and the depths of our human frailties, failures, and sins. He stretches out so that we might be saved, so that we might find a way out, even though it will cost him his life. Friends, it is Palm Sunday and Jesus enters with cloaks and palm branches stretched before him, and cries of Hosanna ring in the air. And we may be tempted to skip right from here to Easter next Sunday when a rolled away stone and a cast off shroud will stretch behind Jesus, and cries of, He is risen, fills the air. It would be a pity, however to skip Maundy, Thursday, and Good Friday, or to treat them as just any other day. Indeed, it would be more than a pity it would amount to negligence in our faith. Because if we skip them, then we will not have to face how low we can go and how much our sin can cost. Miss the darkness on Thursday and Friday, and we will cheat ourselves because we will not see how low God can go in Jesus Christ to the depths of the greatest sins, to the depths of the greatest mystery, misery. On Maundy Thursday, we learn that no matter how low we go, no matter how great our failures, no matter how dark it gets, we are never alone, because Jesus always shows up. And on Good Friday, we see how far God will go in Jesus Christ to pay the cost of our sin for our sake. Jesus stretches out on the cross and gives up his life so that we might be saved, so that we might cross over all that would separate us from God and be delivered into new life. What? Wondrous love is this. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven.
Amen.